Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette, discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free, or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. Welcome to episode 139 of Movie Oubliette, the ocean-hopping podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, getting ready to go on vacation in Cambridge, UK. <laughs> uh, and me, Dan, really wanting to see a snake uh, down here in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, we focus on forgotten fantasy, sci-fi and horror films because we love high-caliber shooting swords, escaping from dungeons in castles and head-splitting transformation sequences. Yes, yes we do. Hello, Conrad. Hello, Dan. So, how are you and why are you in search of snakes? Well, I mean... <laughs> You know, Australia, it's notorious for for being the home of all the venomous snakes and spiders. But I, I, I've been here, I don't know, 14 years. I, I've never seen a snake. I've never seen in a snake wild. in the wild. In a zoo I have, but not in the wild. And it just seems silly. Like, come on. Yeah. Where are they? <laughs> See, I've never seen one in the wild here until just... I think it was last year. Right. So, yeah, I've gone my whole life, which is a number of years. I'm not saying how many. Um, never seen it because we've got two here in the UK. You have we've an adder, don't adders. you? Yeah. Yeah. We have a poisonous adder and we have a gr grass snakes. Okay. And that's what I saw it was on my the walk that I do a little yeah. circuit near my house. Yeah. And I... I just w was just going to put my foot down and went, oh, because <laughs> wow. there was a snake just crossing wow. the footpath. I was in the wild and uh, it was a grass <laughs> snake. So, yeah, yeah, I have seen a snake. <laughs> ah, well, I have not, uh, which is crazy. Yeah, we, I mean, we went on holiday to Queensland, which is tropical. Should have been thousands of snakes, but no, nothing. Yeah. No snakes. Not one. No snakes. Well, maybe that's a good thing, because they're all lethal, aren't they? Yeah, you they are. are. They are. Every single one. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I think Victoria <laughs> it, it alone has like one of the most venomous snakes in the world. Right. So, um, yeah, the brown snake. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe one day. Yeah, that's the one that could kill a whale or something yeah they're, they're <laughs> so venomous pretty pretty lethal things yeah yeah <laughs> meanwhile holiday awaits you conrad yeah i'm practicing how to pack a suitcase oh what <laughs> that's the thing you need to, to practice <laughs> yeah I, do. I haven't done it for so long i i couldn't remember ah, okay, and uh, yeah. melinda actually our friend melinda recommended 
packing cubes, which oh, okay. I'd never experienced before. They're these little fabric cubes with a zip on. Oh, yeah. And it means that you can sort of put your underwear in this one and your shirts in that one and oh, your sweaters in that one. And, you, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it keeps them all organized so that everything doesn't slosh around in there. Yeah. So, Ooh. great tip. Yeah. <laughs> one, one tip that I always give people uh, going overseas mm. uh, is um, I always bring a um, power board. You know, like a, a plug that has four sockets on it. Oh. So so you only need to bring one adapter. Right. And so That's you can have clever. like a whole bunch of things, you know, plugged in. Um to yeah. the power board and and that's just plugged into one adapter into the wall. Ah, cunning. Yeah. I'll definitely do that because I was thinking about that, all my devices yeah, that I ended I up taking with me. And I'm thinking, how many different <laughs> Apple sockets am I going to need? Yeah, I mean, you but can also the get... The answer is just one. You can also get the ones where, um, like, if, if they're all USB powered, um, mm. you get the, the, the multi-USB plug and you just need one adapter for that. So you could do that as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I might try that then. Yeah, it's tricky because even though you think they're all USB, actually they're all slightly different. Like my iPad Pro is like a different wattage from my iPhone. Oh, is it? You know, it's all, ah. yeah, it's all different. Ah, so you okay. plug one thing into the other, it doesn't work. And, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. It's too complicated. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to hear of, of your um, exploits uh, in overseas. <laughs> I know, and I'm uh, looking forward to hearing an episode without me on it. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was bizarre to um to listen to the one with you and Melinda because it's yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since I hang on, this is my show. <laughs> well, no, I mean Melinda did an outstanding job. Like I, I, I'm, mm. I didn't feel like I was replaced, but it, it felt strange. Yeah, it felt strange yeah. to be the listener. And not the, the editor, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, I'm quite looking forward to hearing one without my voice on it. All oh, right. Yes. I think it'd be quite fun, <laughs> especially you and Isaac. I think it's going to be a really giggly fun time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be. It's going to be great. Yeah. We shall see. Can't wait. <laughs> okay, uh, Conrad. I guess it's time to uh, read out some of those messages from our uh, listeners. From the mailbag. Yes, indeed. So we got uh, uh, quite a bit of feedback on Hell House, the episode we did with Renfield director Chris McKay. Uh -huh, yes. John Michael Rouse said, It's based on a novel and screenplay written by a very talented fellow indeed, and he would have loved the pod. Ah. Richard Matheson, he's referring to. Right. The, uh, Twilight Zone writer and celebrated sci-fi author. Mm, mm. Ah. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. And Eddie Coulter said, I love Chris McKay's work and now I love the man even more. Yes. <laughs> Halloween three rules. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he was, a, he was such a joy to have on the podcast. He really was, yeah. And we also heard from Surge of Cold Crash uh. Pictures. Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. He says, a Legend of Hell House might be a little tame by today's standards, but it did a lot of cool horror movie things before they were cool, and it's more self-assured than most anything that gets released today. Even with the anticlimactic finale, it's still well worth your time. Hats off to mm. Movie Oubliette for introducing me to so many films I've never even heard of that I now get to recommend. Ah, yes. Yeah, it's it's crazy 
see that Hell House uh, is not more well-known. It really should be. Mm. It should, yeah. It's quite the footnote, and it really doesn't deserve to be. So mm. that was really fun discovering that. Yeah, yeah, it was. Mm. So thanks, everyone, for getting in touch. We love hearing from you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Conrad, what's the film today? Well, let me just scamper on over to the oubliette for the last time before my holiday. Really creepy cavern in here. Yeah. What's that over there? It's like a coffin with screaming faces on it. <laughs> oh, good grief. This is terrifying. Oh, th- there's a movie emerging from like bubbling blood or something. Oh, okay. okay. I've got it. I'm coming back. You might need to clean that off a bit. Yeah. Wipe it down. It's ugh, it's horrible. I hope the disc's okay. <laughs> so what do we have today? <laughs> we have the 1982 American sword and sorcery fantasy film, The Sword and the Sorcerer. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. Written and directed by Albert Pune, co-written by Tom Konofsky and John V. Stuckmeyer, and starring Lee Horsley, Kathleen Bella, Simon McCorkindale, George Maharis, Richard Lynch, Richard Moll, and Anthony DeLongis. Ah, okay, so what happens in the, the Sword and the Sorcerer? Well, in a distant time of yore, an ambitious tyrant called Cromwell resurrects an evil sorcerer, Zusha, from his screaming face-covered coffin filled with <laughs> tomato soup, to help him conquer the land of the kindly King Richard. Cromwell, a sore winner, kills all of the king's family and literally stabs the sorcerer in the back. But King Richard's teenage son, Talon, narrowly escapes with his father's three-bladed sword. Eighteen minutes of narration later, Talon (laughs) is a grown man and a roguish sword for hire. He's recruited by Princess Alana to rescue her brother Micah, who believes he's now heir to the throne, and destroy Cromwell before he can kill the ruler of all the neighbouring lands in a Red Wedding-style assassination frenzy. Mm. Will Talon save the day and get his agreed reward one night with the blushing princess? Is Zusha alive, after all, and plotting his evil sorcerer-style head-splitting revenge? Uh And will Talon's merry men and everyone else get trapped in and escape from the dungeon over and (laughs) over and over again? Find out... After the break. Yes. (laughs) And we're back to talk about the sword and the sorcerer. This is one of those videos that I return to quite often in my childhood dance. Mm. I guess that makes this a certain type of episode. Childhood nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, childhood nostalgia. Mm. Yeah, so this is a first watch for me. Mm. I have heard of the the reputation of the tri-sword and its (laughs) shooting capacity. (laughs) Being able to propel swords at people, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Kind of reminiscent in terms of, like, ridiculous weaponry as the glaive um, and krull. Just, like, how do you wield a sword so thick with three Mm. parallel blades as well? It's just 
It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, and you can tell that Lee Horsley in the lead role is not having a very easy time of it swinging that yeah. sword around either. Yeah. It's only after he's fired the other two blades that the single blade becomes something he can work with, yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you, do you know the director at all, Albert Pyun? No. Have you seen any of his other films? I haven't, no. I remember seeing his name on the credits of a lot of B-movies in my local video rental store. Right, yeah. And DVDs, particularly during the DVD era. Uh-huh. But this is his first movie, I believe. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, mm. really, for a first movie. I mean, it is obviously B-grade. Some of the acting is uh, a bit funny. Like, the camera work sometimes is kind of wobbly. You can kind of imagine the cameraman, like, walking into things because there's, like, a few bumps here and there and and the the panning is not smooth at all. But it's impressive. Like, there's a lot of costumes. Not exactly period accurate if you're thinking medieval fantasy. Mm. But amazing sets and props. Like, there's a, a lot of swords. Yeah, I mean, it's called the Sword and the Sorcerer. There's a lot of swords. Not so much sorcery. No. But there's a lot of swords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sorcerer kind of dips out in the first act. Yeah. Before the narration ends, actually. And then... The narration. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Like, I felt like, is the movie going to start at any point (laughs) because it just I felt like a bedtime story like it was just constant narration yeah I know is Simon McCorkendale who of course is in the movie as Micah is narrating it and I think it's just because he's English and he has or he had he's no longer with us sadly yeah died very young actually died in his 50s wow but he has this beautiful voice so we have him delivering the narration at the beginning of the movie yeah and it's Mm. I clocked it 18 minutes before it stops yeah it felt like it wasn't even a movie yet (laughs) yeah yeah it finally (laughs) starts I didn't notice because this movie came out the same year as Conan the Barbarian mm. and the Beastmaster, all very sort of, I, I guess, iconic. High is this high fantasy films? Yeah, I think That's so. sort of very typical '80s muscle-bound hero tasked with saving someone or defeating some big warlord or something. Mm. I, I haven't seen Conan the Barbarian in a long time, and I did read the synopsis and it sounds pretty much identical <laughs> to this movie yeah a young boy conan becomes a slave after his parents are killed and tribe destroyed by a savage warlord and sorcerer thulsa doom mm. and then he grows up to become a fearless invincible fighter i mean yeah that's this isn't it? basically yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think what happened was Excalibur came out in 1981, the British film Uh directed by John Borman. And apparently that was a huge hit, which surprises me. So all of a sudden, everybody was very excited to make this kind of movie. So there were a lot of these movies suddenly rushed into production. Albert Pyun had never directed a feature before. I think he'd done some shorts. Mm. He was born and raised in Hawaii, I believe. Yeah. And he had difficulty being taken seriously so he would keep showing up and pitching yeah this among many other ideas that he had for a feature length movie and he ended up he had storyboards he had maquettes he had all kinds of things he did this whole right. dog and pony show to get people to back him and make this project mm, reality and invest in it. yeah yeah and yeah. finally two producers did the chases brandon chase and marianne chase 
they were sort of independent B movie mm-hmm. makers. And uh, yeah, so this was his first attempt at making a movie, and it's uh, pretty ambitious on a four million dollar budget. Yeah, so he's quite um, well known for uh, I think someone said taking peanuts and making it into a Hollywood movie. Right, <laughs> like he he really takes no budget at all and seems to make it work mm. somehow. And I mean, they they are always B grade, and a lot of his movies went straight to VHS or DVD or whatever it was, or they were TV movies they are still kind of competent Mm. yes it's a bit b grand and a bit rough around the edges but they are still movies that kind of work yeah um and especially as a first film it's um yeah i'm really surprised it's no dungeons and dragons no (laughs) let's put it that way no it's not (laughs) It, it works much better yeah and it shows his influences too because he really wanted to introduce elements from some of the movies that he loved when he was growing up in hawaii Mm. a lot of japanese influences in particular he frequently references in the interviews on this uh, special edition disc i have he talks about the baby cart movies the lone wolf and cub movies that are based on a manga yeah right introducing those visual elements and that style of sorcery and magic yeah and the ridiculous weapons and so on i mean lone wolf and cub has been enormously influential the idea of a a samurai warrior with a baby in a cart yeah goes all the way to the mandalorian in terms of ah, having this warrior yeah, yeah, figure yeah, yeah. with this charge that makes him mm. gives him a vulnerability that makes him endearing mm. so he was trying to bring all of these eastern influences in the same way that john carpenter did with big trouble in little china yeah to introduce hollywood to sort of crazier stuff that you were yeah. getting out there more inventive stuff like the three-bladed sword that fires blades which is ridiculous <laughs> yes. but he had a lot of trouble making this movie it's hard listening to him on the commentary track right this is the only commentary track i've ever listened to where the director breaks down and cries halfway through it wow really yeah wow so albert is no longer with us bless him yeah he died like last year yeah 2022 yeah it's very recent i had no idea no he references the fact that he has dementia during the commentary so he asks for forgiveness on the fact that his memory isn't as good as it used to be oh wow but he talks at great length about how okay he's always grateful to the producers giving him his first shot Mm. but they also interfered in every way they possibly could in fact it even says at the beginning of the movie a brandon chase film right that should be the director's name in Mm. terms of authorship yeah yeah so that's a dick move the producer hired the editor the editor locked albert out of the editing room the producer hired the cinematographer joseph margin margin i don't know Mm. so albert would go to him and say okay for this shot i want to go here on a dolly track and yeah 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 and the cinematographer would look at him and say why wow and not do what he asked yeah so he ended up forging a relationship with the b camera operator because he had two cameras operating yeah and getting all the shots he wanted from the b camera because the cinematographer wouldn't listen to him wow and the editor wouldn't listen to him the editor hired the composer and spotted the movie albert had no input whatsoever so he describes all of this and how hard it was and how frequently he wanted to give up and how lee horsley the lead actor kept encouraging him the actors were all behind him because they could see he was trying to do something good yeah yeah so they were encouraging him to stay and it's only on the commentary it's only when he gets to the point that he was talking about how important it was for him to arrange a premiere in hawaii Mm. so that his parents could see 
that he'd done it. Mm. And it's when he talks about that that he breaks down. Wow. It's awful to listen to. So all the other people that were involved in making that man feel that way. Yeah. Fuck them, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You awful people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, as the person who's sort of interviewing him on the commentary says, you know, look at your career. Yeah. You know, you've had a fantastic career. You've got a lot to be proud of. And a lot of what you achieved on set is on screen. Mm, but mm. poor Albert Pyun, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I've seen a few of Albert Pyun's movies, mm-hmm. which is surprising. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't think I had. So I have seen Nemesis, oh. which is... I guess his response to Blade Runner slash Terminator, it's very similar, but it feels like a proto-Matrix. Like, it's so similar in the sort of stylistic, ridiculous fashion, everyone wears sunglasses all the time approach (laughs) to the visual aesthetic. But it came out in 1992, so seven years before The Matrix came out, which is amazing. It is very B-grade, though, so... It's not like a masterpiece. It's not like Blade Runner or, or Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> but it is still kind of enjoyable in its sort of trashiness. And I have seen his Captain America movie. Oh, like, yes. Like, yes, his Marvel entry. But I think it's the very first feature-length Marvel adaptation right. ever. It's pretty amazing that he directed it. It's not a great movie, I have to say. Oh. It's kind of one of those movies that's so bad, it's hilarious. Like, it's, <laughs> it is it is an enjoyable watch in that sort of way. Right. Not in the current <laughs> state of Marvel films. It is very funny. Right. I don't know whether it was intentional, but it is very funny. <laughs> and I think I have seen his Kickboxer 2 movie. But that was when I was a teenager, and I can't remember it. But yeah, he's got a huge oeuvre of films. It's like over 50. Yeah. It's a lot. So he's got a lot to be proud of, which is great. And I think he's got a lot to be proud of in this movie, because you can see some great visual elements in it. I mean, I think the opening scene where Cromwell and his cronies go into a cave to resurrect Zusha, Mm. and you have that coffin of screaming faces. Yeah, the Lovecraftian, like, horror coffin. Yeah, Yeah. but also (laughs) towards the end where... Talon ripped himself off of a crucifix. Yeah. And all of a sudden you get this big swelling music scene and this slow motion montage of him fighting people and throwing people over his head whilst he's semi-naked. And yeah. That's like silhouettes in front of backlit red smoke. And you think this is like a Bakshi animated movie or something. It's really mm. stylish and weird and i was not expecting this at all so yeah i, he's I got did some flourishes in there still. i did note that uh that scene with talon pulling out the nails of the crucifixion very similar to solomon kane did mj bassett watch this movie well you do wonder i know i did say you were saying oh it'd be great to do something without crucifixions and i suddenly thought oh hang on yeah <laughs> <laughs> Talon's crucified in this yeah. movie. This year has had a lot of crucified <laughs> characters. I mean, the fourth, the fourth man as well. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a year of crucifixions for us. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Like there was a lot of horror elements I was not expecting in a fantasy film. Mm. Yeah, the beginning scene with the resurrection of Zusha and also his transformation scene yeah. where he turns from 
Well, what's the guy's name? The assistant to Cromwell? Michelli. He turns from that into Zusha, mm. the demon form. He, like, rips his face in half. It's, like, disgusting. And, like, wow, I did not expect that. Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of sort of, yeah, I guess nods to other genres as well. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting influences going on. The violence is really quite shocking. I mean, it's more brutal and juicy than most like all of a sudden you'll get a scene where one of Talon's sidekicks is played by a character actor called Joe Regal Buto, who, um, I don't know, he's just like this balding, curly-haired guy from the East Coast. But anyway, yeah. he's in it. And he chops somebody. So in the middle of one of these fighting scenes with swords, you know, big crowd, yeah. he chops at somebody and you suddenly get this shot of a sword slicing vertically <laughs> I know. through somebody's head and chopping it in half. Yeah. And it comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, oh. it's cool. It's really gory. There's another scene with the ruthless guard and his death scene where he's forced into like one of those grinders used to sharpen swords. Yeah. And it's just blood just pouring out. Yeah. Like an Evil Dead (laughs) movie. It's like like, a geyser. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's grisly. That is grisly. And the torturer has a scene where he's cut the tongue out of this servant girl. Mm. And that's so upsetting. He's reading the room and thinking, oh, actually, everybody's turned against me now in a really bad way. I'm just going to back out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did find the tone of this film very unbalanced because you have these really brutal scenes, but then you have a lot of just happy, lucky breaks mm. is what, I, what I'll call it. So, yeah. You mentioned how they constantly get captured, like really easily, and just <laughs> thrown in the dungeon. But every time they're freed by these women that just <laughs> free everyone. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like <laughs> this castle security, yeah, terrible. We've got all these women just letting everyone go. And then there's like a a few other lucky breaks, like Talon falls from a window from a really high height and he just lands on Sack's flower. Mm. It's completely unhurt. Like the scene where he has to face these arches, he just finds a barrel of oil and just pours it on the ground and every single arch catches fire. It's it's like what? It's lucky. Everything seems to be quite easy. And yeah, like the, all these kind of lucky breaks that these characters have. Oh, that's right. He When he frees um, some of the people from the dungeon, one of them just happens to be the architect of the whole castle oh, and there's yeah. all the secret passages. <laughs> it's like, well, what are the chances? <laughs> yeah, that's very fortunate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when he's lacking in men... He recruits a bunch of other people in a brothel. Yeah. Because they just overhear yeah, like, what's going on. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll join. Yeah. It's like all of these guys just appear from behind curtains with poor women. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? Plying their trade. What is this? So, in, in that case, the tone is really 
happy. But then you have the blonde girl, Elizabeth, and she's tortured, her tongue's been cut out, mm. um, and, and the guard is trying to force these men to tell him who sent them to invade the castle, and she sacrifices herself so that they don't have to tell the guy. And it's just like, that's heart-wrenching. That's yeah. really sad. And, you know, having Talon's parents just butchered in the first like 10 minutes of the film including infant siblings yeah all killed wow this is horrific yeah (laughs) richard lynch as titus cromwell he's terrifying as this tyrant that's determined to take over the world Mm. i mean he's a bit of a one-note performance apparently the actor was just hopped up on cocaine throughout the entire production and they had to try to make sure that he didn't hurt anybody because he was just so desperate to kill everyone (laughs) yeah i mean uh, it was good that he was a good fighter Mm. as well so when he does face helen like it's a good duel. Mm. You know, he he's not one of those villains where he just sends his goons and he sends his best man and yeah. this, you know, big muscly wrestler or something. Like he actually <laughs> can stand his own, you know, in terms of uh, sword fighting. Yeah, he almost kills Talon, doesn't he? It's yeah. It's pretty close. It's a close yeah. run thing. Yeah. But luckily, their swords have swords inside their swords. Oh, it's like Swiss <laughs> Army Blade swords. It's like, what is this? <laughs> the Talon's sword gets shattered and he pulls out another mini sword from within the hilt in of the, the sword. sword. Yeah. Um, and also... And then it turns out that he has a blade in his arm band. Oh, yeah. I know. He's got all these, like... <laughs> Honestly. It's crazy. And bees. But also, um, Cromwell, like, he loses his sword at one point and he He's got a scepter, which has a blade in the scepter. Yeah, both ends, it turns out. (laughs) Everyone's just got swords coming out the wazoo. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Zusha was kind of underutilized. Like, (laughs) disappears for most of the film. They just, like, slot one very short scene with him in it. Mm. And then the reveal, the twist reveal... That the king's assistant is actually Zusha. Mm. No build up to that whatsoever. No. So I was like, oh, okay. You kind of get hints that Michelli is not on the level because, you know, somebody insults him at one point and George Maharis as Michelli does this fantastic looking up from the table with maps on it at the person under his brows with a stony look of pure malice on his face. Yeah. And you think, ooh, Michelli's not right. There's something wrong there. He's not a nice guy. Mm. And uh, lo and behold, we find out, yes, he's hiding a very disgusting and shocking secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt like if you had more scenes with Zusha kind of, plotting Mm. it would have been a better reveal maybe i don't know yeah like i mean the movie is called sword and sorcery and there wasn't yeah not enough sorcery i wanted more magic and Mm. i don't know spells or curses or i don't know something yeah no all you get really is the resurrection at the beginning where you have the witch okay magical black lady alert Mm. but what what i particularly like about that is she (laughs) after she does it and zusha starts resurrecting she shouts no it lives as though she's shocked so was she blagging her way through this did she not think (laughs) it was going to work yeah yeah (laughs) i mean it it is unfortunate because she gets her heart exploded out of her yeah um which is yeah i mean she did all that and she's yeah 
All for nothing. Yeah. So you have that great scene, and Zusha's got a lot of uh, presence in that, and yeah. he's got his rotoscoped animation fingers. and Oh, the E.T. fingers, yeah. The E.T. fingers, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the one scene in the smoky cave where a messenger comes and tells him something, and he says, oh, I'm still alive and plotting my revenge, and then he vanishes. And the focus goes on to Michelli instead, and then you find out that they're one and the same. Yeah, yeah. And and, and his sort of E.T. fingers, like... Was it kind of like a mind control? Like he he seems to stun people. They can't seem to move when he uh, does his finger thing. Yeah, I was trying to decode it as a kid. I think one color is sort of freezing and hypnosis. And then there's another color, which is like, oh, get ready for the heart explosion. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think those are his two different modes on the ET fingers. I think white does one thing and orange does something else. Yeah, and I, I found the, the, the scene with the snake and, and Alana a little underwhelming as well. Mm. Snake moves very slowly, doesn't do a lot. No, it doesn't. Yeah, they were really worried that Kathleen Bella would not be fond of doing the scene with the 16-foot boa constrictor wrapped around her. Yeah. As it turned out, because they were saying, oh, we'll get a double for you. And she said, no, no, it's fine. Oh, wow. I had snakes as pets huh. as a kid. Okay. Constrictors. Yeah. She said, okay, so it's fed and it's cold in the dry ice, smoke on the floor. So basically it was just hugging her and going for a snooze. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it looked like as well. Yeah, (laughs) it does, yeah. It's basically, it's just trying to keep warm and having a snooze. It wasn't constricting her at all. And she was fine with it. She loves snakes. Okay. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. I did find some of the fight scenes a little... I mean, some of them were very brutal, but some of them felt very... I guess, again, classic cinema, Mm -hmm. where it's just like one punch and they're just down. Fall over, yeah. Yeah, a lot of like shoving and not a lot of actual (laughs) fighting. I don't know. No, the note I wrote down for all of the action, it's very boring. Yeah. (laughs) It's just crowd of people i don't know they're just sort of moving about a bit and shouting and not much seems to be happening really yeah that's what i felt as well the music was surprisingly happy and jolly yeah (laughs) throughout most of the film yeah it is it's all very woodwindy and brassy and pompity 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 and um yeah i don't know i'm not sure that it quite fits really it's terribly british yeah (laughs) but when you've got people slicing men in half um, (laughs) it just doesn't quite gel no so the music is david whittaker He's worked with the director of Legend of Hell House, oddly enough. Oh, right. Yes. Eyewitness with John Hoff. So there's a connection there. He did Scream and Scream Again, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. So, you know, lots of British horror movies that are a little bit cheap and cheerful Mm. back in the 70s. And this. And yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a little bit sort of jaunty medieval castle British music. And I'm I'm not sure it really works because the movie is trying to escape those sort of cliches. It's all shot in L.A. and it's trying to bring in all these Asian influences. And I'm not sure jaunty British horns is really what we need. Yeah. I mean, it. like what I've got written down is so much violence to the music, you might see birds and bunnies frolic in the meadow. Like it, it, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a Disney 
film. It does. But you've got people just murdering everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what? It's like the hell. Disney's Robin Hood, but everybody's dying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it worked at all. And it also felt quite outdated. Like, mm. the whole presentation of the film with some of the costumes and the acting and, and the setting felt, I don't know, like 40s or 50s. Like, yeah. a sort of a more classic interpretation of fantasy and medieval i thought the same thing i wrote down this feels like a ray harryhausen movie yeah you know one of those clash of the titans jason and the argonauts Mm. it feels like that but with completely unnecessary nudity and vicious gore (laughs) yeah (laughs) which probably explains why it was very popular amongst teenage boys I mean, the first note I have written down here is this is a movie for boys. It's uh, it's mm. boobs, boobs everywhere and just like bloody violence. Mm. Uh, it's like the two things that boys want to see in a film. It's topped and tailed by two gruesome, scary sequences that thrilled boys. And in the middle, it's just a guy jumping around with a sword, hacking at people and occasionally going through a window and just landing in between a pair of breasts. Yeah. And there's no need for it. Yeah, I mean... That stuff didn't come from Albert Pyun. He did not want any of that in the movie. It was right. the producers... Interesting. ...who were forcing the women to appear naked when they weren't expecting to, and some of them were not happy about it. Wow, wow. Yeah, because I, I felt all of that felt very sleazy Mm. and talon felt sleazy for the most part like he was just kissing topless girls like his reward for saving micah was to have sex with alana okay nice yeah after he's just rescued her from being raped he then tries to put his moves on her and demands her body in return for carrying out this quest yeah I was thinking he's just stringing her along. He doesn't actually want payment. And at the end of it, it's all going to be hugs and smiles and he's going to go on his merry way. No, no. He drags her off for a shag. Yeah. He wants his payment. Yeah. She seems happy about it. But yeah. I, mean, I know. Really? I, well, yeah. Yeah. In terms of like the unnecessary nudity, there is one shot as well. It's just like this ridiculously long shot of a girl butt naked getting her butt massaged. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so long. It, it takes forever for talent to even <laughs> enter the scene. Yeah. It's like, what is this? I, I guess it's the nude stuff that boys want, right? It is, yeah. So that's our leading lady, Catherine Bella, as Princess Alana, being oiled down for some reason. Yeah. The sleaze factor is a bit, it doesn't date very well. Mm. And I can't imagine women really enjoy this movie. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, like, it's not a family fantasy. No. Which is great. <laughs> you know, there's no young boys having to save the day with by believing in themselves and you know, <laughs> flying dogs or anything. You know, it's it's nothing like that. So, no. As an adult, you know, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and as a, a prepubescent boy, it was great to get what your parents thought was just like a fun family adventure with yeah, swords right, and a bit yeah. of zap, zap, zap from some sorcerers. And, and actually, it's just full of naked women and bloody gore and <laughs> Zusha <laughs> ripping somebody's head in half vertically. It's, yeah. 
Yeah. So as teenage boys, we loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I don't think I was teenaged, actually. I think I was in single figures when I saw it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now it's time for Random Trivia. Okay, Conrad, what did you find nailed to a cross overlooking a royal feast today? I've got a sad piece of trivia for you. Okay. So, Zusha, that shot where he's stabbed in the back by Cromwell and he leaps off of a cliff and is flailing through the air. So, the stuntman, Jack Tyree, who performed that stunt, unfortunately died. Wow. Doing that stunt. Wow. So he told Albert Pion that he'd jumped off of that cliff before in a previous production, Masada, for TV. Right. But actually, I think he jumped off of a different point and it was not quite as high. So he jumped off of a 75-foot cliff and he missed the airbag uh, by two feet and just hit the ground. Oh, my God. died. Yeah, it's very sad. That's devastating. Yeah, so the film's dedicated to his memory. Yeah, right. But right, the right. shot is still in the movie. God, it's morbid. It's quite morbid, isn't it? I don't it? know how I feel about that, because he's <laughs> flailing for a different reason than you think. Or, you know, he's not acting. He's kind of... I've missed it. Well, I guess he doesn't know it yet. So that's not great. Oh, I don't know. I think he does. They, I think they say that he did because I think the reason that he missed it was because he didn't. He slipped on some gravel on the cliff edge, so he didn't wow. quite get the forward momentum. Yeah. That he wanted. So I think what you're seeing is somebody actually panicking. Jeez. So that's okay. not great. Oh my god. Yeah, that's. So uh... In terms of exploitation, you're into the realms of snuff filmmaking as well that is that is rough (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) a bit of a downer (laughs) sorry poor jack that's our trivia Mm. in terms of story it's not very interesting i don't think it's pretty predictable you know. It's standard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the kid avenging his father trying to reclaim the throne, but he's not re- trying to reclaim the throne. No, he's, he's just he's turned not. into a mercenary. I did want to ask, like, why is Micah the rightful heir to the throne? He was the assistant to the old king. He's got zero bloodline. No. Like, why is... What? <laughs> Surely anyone else. He's like a political leader, like a, a figurehead for the revolution. Yeah. The whole town wants to overthrow Cromwell, and he and his sister are just the focal points for that. They need a leader, and mm. they think... Do they think Talon is dead? I think they do. I think they do. I don't think they know who he is. But it seems that a lot of people know who Talon is as well. Yeah. So it's like, it's not really a secret. No. Because the whole village seems to know. All the men. Yeah, and all the rulers. But just not all the noblemen. (laughs) Well, all of the noblemen around the table getting ready to be ambushed at the Red Wedding and killed. They're looking up at the, because they've got Talon there sort of. Like Jabba the Hutt with Han Solo. Yeah. He's got Talon crucified up on the wall as a decoration for his wedding, which is mm. a bit grim. But the, some of the royal guests are squinting at him and saying, is that Talon? Yeah. Everybody seems to know who he is. Well, they figure it out there, mm. but they didn't know beforehand. I, and I guess they did think he died. 
Yeah. The one thing about that I was confused about, when he's crucified, he has all of his fingers. Yeah. And yet didn't he lose two fingers as a child when he got an arrow through his hand and he had to tear his hand away? I was confused by that scene. I had to watch it a few times because I was like, where did he cut his hand off? How did he get away from that? He loses some fingers because they say he wears a metal gauntlet on one hand. Because ah. I think he's missing some fingers. And yet when he's crucified, he's got all of his fingers yeah. back. So that's great. Mm. Also, the scene where he loses his fingers as a child at the beginning, the editor, Marshall Harvey, yeah. who locked Albert Pune out of the room yeah. and did not assemble the film in the way that he wanted it to be assembled. There are quite a few places where he clearly fucked up because that scene with the kid killing two soldiers with the firing blades. Yeah. When he kills the first one, he's only got two blades on his sword. And when he kills the second one, he's got three. <laughs> so clearly he killed them in the other order. Oh, right. Yeah. And the editors put them the wrong way around. Oh, no. Bloody inept. That's terrible. I know. <laughs> so it's a bit scrappy around the edges. Yeah, I mean, having seen a few of Albert Pion's movies, actually, I did watch another one of his films <laughs> fairly recently, yeah. um, Postmortem. It's got Charlie Sheen in it, playing himself, essentially, because he's not a character. He's just Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. But yeah, I, I do I do find that Pion's movies have this kind of rough around the edges quality to them mm. they're, they're not perfect there's a lot of scenes where it's like oh is, is that your final choice mm. oh okay like i don't know i i don't think he's aiming for like masterpieces and often he's got tiny budgets mm. so he's kind of just making it work yeah it's not perfect but it kind of does work yeah it's inventive stuff it is inventive yeah just trying to think on his feet. He had no storyboards when he went in and no shot list. He was winging it day by day and he was shooting this in and around Los Angeles. So no European castles or anything. He's just winging it. Mm. Shot it in eight weeks. And they were rushing to get it out before Conan the Barbarian came right. out. Right, yeah, yeah. They just managed it. It opened on the 23rd of April, 1982, in seventh place behind Porky's. On Golden Pond, Chariots of Fire, If You Could See What I Hear. Mm. Don't know what that is. I don't know. Some Kind of Hero, no clue. Richard Pryor movie, I think. And Victor Victoria. Okay. That's a window into 1982. It jumped to second place the following week, so it actually went up the chart, uh-huh. then dropped to three, and it was still in third place in the fourth week when Conan the Barbarian opened. So Conan yeah. came in below it. Ah. And it stayed in the top 10 for nine weeks when its competition included E.T., Poltergeist, Rocky Three, Annie, Star Trek II and Conan the Barbarian, which actually wow. dropped out of the top 10 faster than The Sword and the Sorcerer did. Huh. And it finished at the end of the year as the 16th place movie overall in terms of box office for 1982, netting $39.1 million compared with Conan's 39.6. Wow. So that's not bad, is it? It's not bad. It isn't bad. It has been forgotten, though. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think people really talk about it anymore. I think a lot of people in the 80s, a lot of young boys, essentially, yeah. <laughs> have seen this movie and probably do love it. But it's not really talked about much now. No, it's not been remembered. It's recently been remastered in 4K. Right. But it still feels very culty. Mm. I don't know if many people would know it if you asked them about it. 
I did a quick look on Rotten Tomatoes for all of the sword and sorcery films released in the 80s. Yes. And when you stack it up, it's, yeah, it doesn't come out particularly well. Its audience score is 45%. Okay. Critics, 67 So it's sort of way down the list. The number one, you'll be pleased to hear, with uh, 94% from audiences and 98% from critics, is The Princess Bride. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really think that movie's overrated, but okay, it's fine. <laughs> Number two is Excalibur, which is 72% and 80%. Yeah. And Highlander, I don't know. Is that in the same category? I don't know. It's taking the sword and sorcery and making it the modern day, pretty much. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it spans multiple eras. I think that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. So there had been talk of, of doing a sequel to this movie for years and years and years. Yes. And so he finally brought out a sequel, apparently, in 2010, called Abelard. Tales of an Ancient Empire. I don't know who would think that would be a, a sequel from that title. But it stars Kevin Sorbo after his Hercules stint. Mm. And, and apparently it's a terrible movie. I haven't seen it, but I've seen some critics or reviews saying Kevin Sorbo sinks to sad new lows. And uh, someone else also said one of the worst films they've ever seen. So <laughs> I'm keen to watch it, but kind of scared. Yeah, well, Albert Pyun said that he had so little money, he was rushing just to try to get a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. And he said, that's about as much as you can say for the movie. It has a beginning and a middle and an end. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that's, that I was mean, an achievement as far as he was concerned. It kind of like ruins the sort of legacy, like if you have such a terrible sequel. Yeah, maybe shouldn't have bothered. It's funny because the sequel is promised at the end of the movie. Yeah. It comes up with Watch for Talon's Next Adventure, Tales of the Ancient Empire, coming soon. It didn't. <laughs> it's mm, like yeah. 20 years, wasn't it? 30 years? Oh, I mean, 82 to 2010. That's like, yeah, almost 30 years. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's almost like they think it's like James Bond or something, because James Bond always used to do that in the 80s. With ah. James Bond will return in. One of my favourite ones is, I think, at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, it says he'll return in for your eyes only. And he didn't. He came with uh, Moonraker, turned oh, out to be right. the next one. So they actually got it wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Award. Okay, it's everyone's favourite time of the pod, the Moobly Awards, where we nominate our favourite tri-sword slicing parts of the film in a number of demon, sorcerer, resurrecting categories. <laughs> Best quote. My favourite quote comes from Verdugo the Torturer, who <laughs> says to one of the women who's chained up in his torture chamber, don't worry, little girl. It won't hurt until I hit the bone. <laughs> yeah. Nasty. I really I was like, what what are you going to do? What what is this? <laughs> it's not nice, is it? No, not nice. Uh, my favorite quote uh, comes from Talon. So when he first meets Alana, she's about to be violated by one of uh, Cromwell's men. And uh, the assailant says to him, I think he says, 
does he say eat a dick or die? I couldn't quite figure it out. But anyway, <laughs> Something like that. Talon responds, that's a small threat. And then he looks down at his sort of groin area, I guess supposedly seeing his pecker. And then he says, that's a really small threat. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Best hair or costume? Uh, at one point... Uh, one of the, I think it's one of the archers, the head archer. I, I don't know who he is, but um, he is disco yeah. ready uh, with his <laughs> sparkly <laughs> yes. armored breastplates. They are so sparkly. I, yes. I was, I yeah, I was rolling on the floor like, the, wow. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite actually was King Richard's Amish chin strap beard. <laughs> oh yes, yes. When you cut to him after the narration is just still going on and on and you've got the kindly King Richard who turned a savage land into a place of peace and prosperity and there's this guy with his Amish chin strap beard <laughs> yeah. stood in front of some hydrangeas. <laughs> yeah. like, what is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> most 80s moment. For me, I think the most 80s thing about this is just sword and sorcery films. Yeah. Yeah. Mentioned some of them already, but you know, you've got Hawk the Slayer, Clash of the Titans, Dragon Slayer, which we've done, Excalibur, Beastmaster, Conan the Barbarian, and the Destroyer, Deathstalker, Krull, we've done, Lady Hawk, we've mm. done, Legend, Masters of the Universe, Willow, which we've done. So, <laughs> I, what was it in the 80s? We were just obsessed with this, and yet most of them bombed at the box yeah. office. Yeah. Yeah. So they odd. just kept making them. Very <laughs> yeah. Somebody thought that they had the secret sauce to make a hit, but really it was only Excalibur and the Conans that did well. Mm, and mm. this. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. 80s for me. I don't know whether this is correct, but so Alana has her signature move, which is just kneeing <laughs> everyone in the balls. Uh, yes. But I, I do feel like in the 80s and 90s, women were just constantly kneeing all the villains in the balls. Was that a thing? Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Now you say it. I just, rem I just remember so many action movies where that happened. Yeah, they would knee them in the balls and they'd drop their gun or something. Yeah. And, or if it didn't go well, they'd just get slapped or something. Yeah, it was yeah. happening a lot. You're right. Weird. Yeah. Why but, is that? But Alana does it three times, which is great. <laughs> I know. As a repeating gag, it pays off in the end. Yeah. It does pay off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We oh, well, might mention that in, in the sound category. <laughs> yes, me too, but I'll... <laughs> Favourite scene! My favourite scene is actually the, the lead-up to the sort of climax of the movie with the cross-cutting suspense at the Red Wedding. Oh, yes. So you've got the archers getting into position to assassinate everyone. Alana just plucking up the courage to say, I do, or screw you or whatever mm. just her, like her lips parting in slow motion and eventually she just goes i <laughs> yeah and talon slowly ripping his hands off yes. of the crucifix yes. and eventually it all culminates in him ripping himself off and getting the gag off and shouting cromwell yeah yeah <laughs> it's pretty good stuff yeah no, in terms of a big suspenseful cross cut sort of climax yeah yeah 
Um, favorite scene? I, I just loved all the horror scenes. I was just not expecting it. So the resurrection scene with the goopy stuff. Ugh. It looked amazing, and the screaming faces on on the tomb or the coffin, mm. um, and also yeah, the transformation scene. He he like he rips his face in half, and then this yes. kind of tarry, goopy demon thing emerges from the the pile of flesh. It's just like yes. wow! I did not expect to see that in this movie no no (laughs) most cliche moment we've said it before and i'm sure we'll say it again the castle has a secret passage oh god (laughs) i was just like groaning at that point like wow but like i just don't understand because they they go in the same way every time and they get captured every time as well like why they do why why do they bother Yeah, it is pretty ridiculous. I love that, as you said, that they stumble upon the architect who says, hidden passages, secret exits, and more. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) This castle's like Swiss cheese, basically. I know. (laughs) And then the woman just free everyone anyway. So, you know. Yeah. Just just a constant flow of in and out. Like, it's just like... It's a revolving door on that thing. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. Best special effect. Well, my favourite special effect, we've talked about the transformation. Mm. It's so shocking and disgusting. And it was sort of the the reason why I think as a kid, I thought this was a great movie. was the scary bit at the beginning and that bit at the end. Yeah. Where he ripped his own head in half. And Mm. it's just little details like, you know, you see his long fingers sort of sprouting through the hands. Yeah. And then... as the guy lifts his hand up to sort of rip his head in half, all of the skin on one of his arms just flops down mm. with all this nasty stuff. It's, it's really great transformation, gloopy nastiness. Yeah, and It was the sort of thing we loved back then, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, to have this really gruesome, horrifying <laughs> finale for some reason. Favourite sound effect. Yeah, I, we mentioned it or kind of alluded to it uh, earlier. The sound effect is Alana's third knee to the balls, uh, this time with <laughs> Zusha. Uh, and it's it's just this great hollow wooden donk sound. <laughs> so, like, ge- Zusha has no genitals? Is, is that what we're saying? I think so, because, I mean, all the other people are sort of sexually threatening her when she knees them in the balls, whereas all he's talking about is disposing of her and taking over the world. He's not interested in her at all. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think he has any kind of sex drive or genitals. Either that or his balls are coconuts. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) One of the two. Yeah. Most funniest moment. My funniest moment was actually only something that I realised on second watch because you had to think about it. And then when I realised it, I was wetting myself. So the torturer being killed on the whetstone, the establishing shot before that happens clearly shows him manually peddling the whetstone to make it go around. So when Morgan comes in and forces his head on it, I suddenly realised the only way this is working is because he's still peddling. He's obediently peddling... (laughs) His own himself death. to death. <laughs> oh my god! 
<laughs> and once I realized that, that the only reason that this is happening is because he's still peddling, I wet myself and wow. I had to stop the movie. Because wow. it doesn't make any sense at all. No. It's stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, funny moment for me was every instance of, of the tri-sword. It's just surprise after surprise of, of functionality <laughs> for that thing. I mean, even <laughs> when, it, when it first is used, just shooting blades, that is just hilarious. Essentially a, a sword gun that shoots swords. Mm. But uh, we loved it as kids. What can I say? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's iconic. You know, you're not going to forget it. No, it's like, as you said, it's like the glaive from Krull. Yeah. There's no way you could catch that thing without <laughs> losing three fingers. No, no way. But yeah. it looks great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's our move, please. Yes. Yeah. I'm Mary Jo Peel, and you are listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's time for our final verdicts. Should Albert Pune's The Sword and the Sorcerer from 1982 be liberated and take its rightful place on the throne as a marvel of high fantasy? Or should it be shot twice with the blades of the tri-sword <laughs> and then stabbed again with the secret mini-sword and then be shoved back into the oubliette never to be talked about again? The Sword and the Sorcerer. How was it for you, Conrad, on this revisit? Well, I was so excited to revisit this. This is a huge piece of childhood nostalgia. <laughs> yes. And I got the 4K edition. I thought, this is going to be great. All I remember was the horror scenes yeah. and the firing sword and thought, I'm sure the rest in the middle is just this well-written, witty, <laughs> hilarious action-adventure movie yeah. with nothing at all to impugn its reputation. And Dan's going to love it. And I watched it and I just had my head in my hands the whole time <laughs> what? thinking... This is such a 12-year-old's movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like two horror scenes bracketing, just jolly woodwinds and people <laughs> getting captured in dungeons and escaping dungeons. Yeah. And completely unnecessary nudity and a hero who just wants to have sex and stick his head in people's breasts mm. and kiss them when they don't want it. And and I thought, oh, this is terrible. This is just terrible. I can't recommend this to anybody. I'm ashamed that I made Dan watch it. I'm so sorry. So I say, no, it's a hard pass. This is a clear case of nostalgia goggles. I was completely wrong. This should go back in. Yeah. I mean, it, it is clearly a sort of B-grade version of, of of a high fantasy. Like, it's clearly got a lower budget. It, he does really well, though with what yeah. budget he has. Like, it is pretty impressive, like, costume-wise and set and, you know, special effects-wise. I don't know. I've kind of developed a soft spot for Albert Pune. Like, I know his right. films are not good, and I've watched, like, four of them now. But I, I don't know. I, I I think they're still enjoyable. I don't I don't I can't put my finger on it. Like <laughs> like this movie when I finished watching this movie, I, I just said to myself, Did I like that? I'm not I'm not even sure. Was that a was that a good movie? I I don't even know. Like I'm just 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he is still he is still pushing the boundaries of of trying things and and the way that he makes films. They're not great, mm. but there there's still something there. And yeah, I don't. Th- I wouldn't recommend this movie to any woman. But twelve year old <laughs> boys out there, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Or for the person with the 12-year-old boy inside them. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I would recommend this movie. Oh, yeah. I can understand where you're coming from. I do feel bad for Albert, especially listening to the commentary. Yeah. I think he was sabotaged. I think if I would have loved to have seen his vision because mm. he didn't want any of the exploitative nudity. He didn't want that score. He was going to edit it completely differently. I would have liked to see what he could have done unfettered. Mm. Yeah, as it is, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see what our patrons think right. because yes. they're the deciding vote, it seems. Mm. Hello, Hal. Yes, Conrad. Give us the final vote, please. Shockingly, our patrons were undecided. It was a tie. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, yes. it's tied as well. It's tied. Yeah, they were undecided. So Eddie Coulter says, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who'll vote to let it loose in the world. Actually, Eddie, you weren't. I freely admit my opinion of this film is coloured by nostalgia as it's a childhood favourite that I still watch at least once a year. Ah. The new 4K release of this is gorgeous with some great extras. Avoid the sequel... At all costs, it's a very, very rough watch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jasmine, so getting a different perspective here. I have regrettably seen more 80s sword and sorcery films than the average movie lover. I know awful films of the subgenre when I see them. This isn't one of those. Ah. It's not fabulous, but it is decent, and it sports a cast of familiar faces like Richard Lynch, Richard Moll, Robert Tessier and Jeff Corey, ah. I would release it to triple slice again. Oh. Whereas Trezilla said, it started off dark and scary. That living head sarcophagus Susha came out of was true nightmare fuel. <laughs> yes. They really built up, raising him from the dead. But all the black magic battles took place off camera. Then he pouted in a cave until the end. Most yeah. of the good kills were off camera too. Did they spend all of the budget on the janky, unwieldy, triple-bladed sword? Oh, well, at least it had boobs. (laughs) That is a very good summary, I have to say. (laughs) I think it is. So, yeah, they, they were tied as well. So for the first time ever since we introduced the patrons vote... We're going to have to do... Oh. The Coin of Fate. Coin of Fate. All right. The Coin of Fate. Okay. So, Dan, you want to save this movie? So what are you going for? Heads or tails? Let's go for tails. Okay. It's tails. Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So Sword and the Sorcerer lives to fight again. Yeah. Well, uh, Albert Puren, this is for you. This is for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Off you go, Sword and the Sorcerer. Goodbye. Yay, I'm at the dungeon again. Bye. Oh, there you go. 
Yeah, it's quite a divisive film on Rotten Tomatoes. It's mm. like 47% yeah, or something. Yeah. So it's like, it's one of those ones. It's like, is it good? Is it not good? Yeah, but yeah. There you go. I think there is a lot of nostalgia for that this film, though. I think, I think yeah. if you watch it now with nothing to go by, mm. I'm not sure whether you enjoy it. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think <laughs> I was just ashamed. Yeah, I think there's still something there. Um, so yeah. I guess we should reveal what we're doing in the next episode, the episode you're not in. Mm, and it's a patron's choice this time, so yes. let me just wheel out the oubliette roulette. Okay, let's give it a spin. Okay. Oh. Ooh, that's spinning. Ooh. Ooh. Ah, highway to Hell? Highway to Hell? Oh, I've never heard yeah. of this film. Yeah, so this was nominated by Chazilla, and it's a 1992 American B-horror comedy film directed by Ate De Jong. I'm pronouncing that horribly wrong, I'm sure. Okay. Written by Brian Helgeland of LA Confidential fame. Ah. And it stars Patrick Bergen, Adam Stork, Chad Lowe, Kirsty Swanson, Richard Farmsworth, and Ben Stiller. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> wow. Is this is this a horror, did you say? Yeah, it's a horror comedy. Ah, okay. I can't even I imagine no Ben Stiller in a horror comedy. No. Cameo appearances by Ben Stiller, his sister Amy, and their parents, Jerry and Anne. That's the whole family. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> okay. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, well... That's fascinating. Can't wait to hear your take on that Yeah, one. yeah. Can't wait. All right, listeners. Uh, if you want to follow us and uh, keep up to date with all our episodes or message us on how wrong we are to <laughs> set free <laughs> Sorters and Sorcerer, you can uh, find us as Movie Oubliette everywhere and email us at uh, movie.oubliette at gmail.com. Yes, and if you want to support the show and also get access to extended portions of it, exclusive extras and minisodes, and voting on the final verdict and hopefully be the deciding factor, although they weren't this time, yeah. Uh, then yeah, head on over to Patreon where there's various different scales and you can, mm. you can join in and have fun with us, which is always good. And you could also be an executive producer like Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, Dr. Doggy and Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. Yeah, yeah. Check out our latest Minnesota uh, where we talk about horror film genres. Mm. Which ones are our favourites and examples of our favorite films in each genre yeah. so that was fun yeah it was it was yeah. uh we have merchandise at redbubble a youtube channel as well and uh rate and review us on your podcast platform or apple Podcasts, or mm. whatever spotify there's a rating system there it does really help us out it does Okay, listeners, until uh, next episode, the one without Conrad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always want to mention that. Um, yes, <laughs> see you then. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye for now. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't know not the movie you be yet. Hidden passages, secret exits, and more.